EQIAs. Ignore their significance at your peril. You're listening to the Planning, Environment and Property podcast, brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. I'm John Pewsmith, barrister, mediator and fair-weather rural cyclist. Equality Impact Assessments, or EQIAs, as a stone that can fell a giant, are currently in the news. On the 20th of January, in the case of the Queen on the application of United Trade Action Group Limited and others uh, versus Transport for London and the Mayor of London, uh, known as the UTAG case, uh, the High Court upheld judicial review challenges brought by the London taxi trade against Transport for London's street space plan its guidance and a specific scheme on Bishopsgate, known as the A10 order. Whilst TFL has now lodged an appeal and seeks an expedited hearing, which is understood to be uh, in early June, or certainly hoped for, for now, the judgment of Mrs Justice Lang um, is a central reading for all concerned with EQIAs, and indeed for a number of the um, borough schemes that are currently being challenged um, within Greater London and the subject of hearings uh, later on in the month of June. Now the UTAG case highlights the fundamental problems that arise when proposals and not just street schemes engage the requirements of section 149 of the Equalities Act 2010 and the Public Sector Equality Duty or PSED for short. The UTAG case follows another recent High Court judgment on the 11th of January um, in the Queen on the application of Fraser against Shropshire Council on the same subject matter, though with a happier outcome. This episode looks at the issue of EQIs in the planning context, as well as both cases, and seeks to make some suggestions as to the resulting legal pitfalls, which can hopefully be prevented by promoters. So let's start with the PSED obligation. Now, local authorities are under a duty not to discriminate as both service providers and exercisers of public function for the purposes of the Equality Act 2010. Disability discrimination arises if, say, a disabled person is treated unfavourably because of something arising from their disability, irrespective of whether the treatment is because of particular prejudice towards the disabled. Indirect discrimination occurs when a neutral policy or practice puts people with a protected characteristic at a particular disadvantage compared to those who do not have it. As with disability discrimination, but unlike direct dis discrimination, indirect discrimination is susceptible to a proportionality justification, hence the particular significance of the EQIA in the scheme development and decision-making processes. In addition to the substantive duty not to discriminate in the exercise of its functions, local authorities are subject to the Public Sector Equality Duty, PSED. This imposes a procedural requirement when the authority exercises its functions, including those pertaining to its own meetings, to have due regard to three aims or arms, namely the need to, one, eliminate unlawful discrimination, harassment and victimisation, and other conduct prohibited by the 2010 Act, two, advance equality of opportunity between people who share a protected characteristic and those who do not, third, foster good relations between people who share a protected characteristic and those who do not, in including tackling prejudice and promoting understanding. 
The 2010 Act explains that having due regard for advancing equality involves A, removing or minimising disadvantages suffered by people due to their protected characteristics, B, taking steps to meet the needs of people from protected groups where these are different from the needs of other people, including steps to take account of disabled persons' disabilities, C, encouraging people from protected groups to participate in public life or in other activities where their participation is disproportionately low. The 2010 Act also states that meeting different needs involves taking steps to take account of disabled people's disabilities. It describes fostering good relations as tackling prejudice and promoting understanding between people from different groups. It states that compliance with the duty may involve treating some people more favourably from others. Accordingly, Section 149 requires a local authority to have due regard to the need to, amongst other matters, eliminate discrimination and advance equality of opportunity between persons who share a protected characteristic and persons who don't share it. Section 1493 provides a specificity to advancing equality of opportunity, including minimising disadvantage suffered by that person and encouraging them to participate in public life. So, in the case of the Queen, on the application of Law Centres Federation Limited against the Lord Chancellor in 2018, Mrs Justice Andrews considered the requirements of Section 149 as follows. Duty is personal to the decision-maker who must conscientiously direct his or her mind to the obligations. The exercise is a matter of substance which must be undertaken with rigour so that there is a proper and conscious focus on the statutory criteria and proper appreciation of the potential impact of the decision on equality objectives and the desirability of promoting them. She goes on to state, while there is no obligation to carry out uh, an EQIA, if such an assessment is not carried out, it may be more difficult to demonstrate compliance with the duty. On the other hand, the mere fact that an EQIA has been carried out will not necessarily su suffice to demonstrate compliance. As to the proper approach by the court in considering compliance with the duty, this was considered by Lord Justice Elias in the case of the Queen on the application of Hurley against the Secretary of State for Business, Innovation and Skills in 2012, where he states, the concept of due regard requires the court to ensure that there has been a proper and conscious focus on the statutory criteria, but if that is done, the court cannot interfere with the decision simply because it would have given greater weight to the equality implications of the decision that, than did the decision-maker. In short, the decision-maker must be clear precisely what the equality implications are when he puts them in the balance, and he must recognise the desirability of achieving them, but ultimately it is for him to decide what weight they should be given in the light of all relevant factors. By way of further judicial consideration, the case of bracking against the Secretary of State in 2013 now sets the relevant principles, uh, including that the duty must be fulfilled before and at the time when a particular policy is being considered, that it must be exercised in substance with rig rigour and with an open mind. It's not a question of many ticking boxes, uh, that the duty is non-deliverable and that it's a continuing one and it involves a duty of inquiry. Now, these bracking principles, as they're known, were approved by Lord Newberger in the Supreme Court case of Hotak against Southwark Council in 2015. And he just uh, adds a further gloss um, to what has just been set out. 
uh, and there has been a further one added by the Court of Appeal in the case of the Queen on the application of Ward against London Borough of Hillingdon in 2019, that even where express reference is made to the duty, that is not of itself sufficient to demonstrate compliance. And of course there, a failure to discharge the duty inquiry led to a breach of the duty itself. So, in essence, an EQIA is a procedure exercise by which the PSED is assessed in the particular context in which it's engaged. And indeed, government guidance describes the EQIA as a, quote, systematic and evidence-based tool which enables us to consider the likely impact of work on different groups of people. Accordingly, such assessments need to be based on good evidence, which includes listening to the views of people which are likely to be affected. So, let's turn to the pre-2021 planning cases. In this context, given the judicial nuances set out above, I take up the timeline with the case of the Queen on the application of Buckley against Bath and North East Somerset Council in 2018. There, the council, affectionately or not known as Baines, had granted outline planning permission for the redevelopment of a housing estate comprising the demolition of up to 542 homes and the provision of up to 700 new homes, resulting in the loss of 204 affordable houses. The developer, a registered social housing provider, owned the majority of the properties proposed for demolition. The claimant, a long-term resident of the estate, sought judicial review of the decision. Mr Justice Lewis found um, in his favour, and that Baines had failed to comply with the 149 duty. The fact that the application uh, was for outline permission and that certain reserve matters were to be considered at a later stage in the process didn't prevent the duty applying. He also found that in deciding whether to grant the outline planning permission, Baines had been obliged to have due regard to the impact of the demolition of existing homes and adapted dwellings on the elderly and disabled residents, but had failed to do so. Buckley was followed by the case of Lake and Heath Parish Council against Suffolk County Council in 2019. Now the context here was that permission had been granted for 220 new homes in the village and there had been a resolution to grant planning permission for a lot more. As the new housing was going to increase substantially the demand for school places, Suffolk County Council had granted permission for a new school which had a capacity of 420. The parish council had opposed the application, arguing that it was not the best site for the school as the village was next to the US Air Force base, that although the noise level inside the school would meet the relevant guidance, overflying jet aircraft would cause exterior areas to suffer noise above the recommended level and teaching within the new school would be adversely affected. Experts had carried out noise tests at the site. The planning officer had listed seven potential alternatives for the school but had given reasons why in each case it wasn't suitable as the subject site. So, in the context of PSED, the officer's report hadn't mentioned it in express terms, but nonetheless, the judge, H.H. Uh, judge Gore, QC sitting as Deputy High Court Judge, nonetheless rejected the Parish Council's contention that the County Council had failed to have regard to the impacts of its decision on children with disabilities. He held that the requirements of the PSED had been fulfilled in substance 
and that the officer's report had shown consideration of the need to encourage participation in education by those with protected characteristics. Nevertheless, an important reminder uh, was subsequently given by Mr Justice Swift in the case of the Queen on the application of Williams against Caerphilly County Borough Council. Now, in these judicial review proceedings, um, Caerphilly's sporting and leisure strategy was the subject of the challenge. In his judgment, the judge recalls that the requirement to have Section 149 consideration of PSED is stronger than a standard relevant consideration and it, that it required focused consideration. Indeed, in his judgment, he states the following. The public sector equality duty is directed to the decision-making process. The premise of the duty is that that process is important because it is capable of affecting substantive outcomes. In the present case, there is nothing that gives me sufficient confidence that compliance with the public sector equality duty would be without purpose. Accordingly, he upheld the challenge on this ground and the subsequent appeal in 2020 uh, by Kefili was dismissed, but for other reasons. And so to the UTAG case. Five grounds of challenge were brought, of which one dealt with the PSED aspect. In her lengthy judgment, Mrs Justice Lang reminded that there is no statutory duty to undertake an EQIA, though it is generally recognised as good practice, as it encourages a structured assessment to be made. The manner in which the duty is undertaken will depend upon the particular context and the nature of the function which is being performed. Here, she held that TFL had not had proper regard for the public sector quality duty in the context of taxes as a form of public transport. Although an EQI had been completed for the Bishopsgate A10 scheme, nonetheless, she found that, quotes, the EQIA did not meet the required standard of a rigorous and conscientious assessment conducted with an open mind. The mitigation entries, say for Impact 13, and the implementation stroke explanation entries were perfunctory or non-existent and failed to grapple with the serious negative impacts and high level of residual risks which emerged from the assessment. The residual risk assessment was inconsistent and irrationally understated the risks. Most worrying of all, the EQI read as if its purpose was to justify the decision already taken. For these reasons, the judge concluded that the mayor and TFL had not had proper regard to the PSED duty in making the plan, the guidance and the A10 order. Furthermore, she held that the decision of the mayor to pursue the streets-based programme was irrational. And that's the subject matter of a separate episode to follow. So let's turn finally to the Shropshire case. Now this provides a useful example of the way in which the PSED should be approached in the context of development management decision-making. Here, the claimant, Paula Fraser, challenged the lawfulness of two separate grants of planning permission by Shropshire Council to provide extra care residential development using property known as Paul's Moss House. While she wasn't opposed, according to the judgment, to the principal redevelopment of the site uh, to provide such specialist accommodation, nonetheless, she believed the scheme failed to provide adequate open space for its intended residents. Despite the relative simplicity of this concern, there were nonetheless five grounds of challenge advanced against each decision, of which ground four raised direct or indirect discrimination on grounds of age or disability in respect of open space, and ground five a failure to have due regard to the PSED 
um, requirement under the 2010 Act. Dismissing both challenges, my colleague James Strong QC, sitting as Deputy High Court Judge, remarks in relation to Ground 5 as follows. Under this ground, the claimant submits that the Council failed to carry out its PSEG and the duty is not satisfied simply by stating that duty has been applied, as it is a duty of substance rather than form. In summary, the claimant submits the Council didn't undertake any assessment of A, the particular needs of people with protected characteristics of age and or disability for a specific quantity of open space, or B, the harm that would be caused by not providing the quantity. As for ground four, uh, the judge states, I've reached the firm conclusion that this ground of challenge must be rejected on the facts in the light of the consideration of the PSED by the defendant, evidenced by policy OR3 and the additional representation document. But he then goes on to say uh, this, I don't accept that the defendant interested party's submission on the PSED was simply not engaged at all here because the defendant was considering a scheme for extra care and residents were being considered as individuals with extra care needs rather than on account of their age or dis and disability. The fact, for example, that eligibility for extra care residential accommodation includes a minimum age limit itself makes this a difficult submission to pursue. But more fundamentally, the statutory terms of the PSED do not limit its application in the way suggested. It is the duty which, amongst other things, require the defendant to have regard to the need to advance quality of opportunity between older stroke disabled person, people and persons who do not have those protected characteristics to foster good relations between persons who are a disabled stroke older and persons who do not have those protected characteristics and to encourage persons who share a relevant protected characteristic to participate in public life. In any event, he goes on to say, the PSED is a general duty that applies to the defendant when carrying out its function. It's not a duty which directs a particular outcome, but it's a duty which needs to be performed. I therefore reject the submission that the PSED was not engaged at all in the determination of the third relevant planning application. But on the facts, however, he says, I'm satisfied that the duty was performed and was performed in the way required by and accordance with the principles derived by the claimant from bracking, even though it was incorrect to suggest that it needed to be formed only out of an abundance of caution. And indeed, as he points out, the analysis of the quality of open space provided, in fact, identified benefits that are relevant to the consideration required under the PSED such as fostering good relations and promoting integration in public life. So, a pragmatic and sensible outcome resulted even if Shropshire Council's approach to the PSED aspect had been justifiably open to some, but not fundamental criticism. So, as we come into land, some conclusions. And here, I'd suggest that the following key lessons can be derived. First is the inherent danger when an authority becomes obsessed by a specific initiative to the exclusion of the general PSED obligation or its tokenist consideration um, in its pursuit. In Buckley, it was the problem of the displacement of residents. In UTAG, it was the obsession with COVID-19 protection measures in a way which implied that nothing else needed to be considered because COVID-19 was such an ex existential threat so would anything else matter? However, given that it was guidance and that had been published by the mayor last May, 
Could anything more have been sensibly done at that stage or should have been left to full assessment at the stage of specific schemes? The judge thought that it could and should have been dealt with there and then. Second is the importance of ensuring that EQIs are an integral part of scheme development, no matter how pressing implementation timescales may be. Moreover, EQIs should be genuinely used to inform the design process based on evidence-based considerations of impacts. This requires that all design decisions taken and the reasons and evidence behind them are documented contemporaneously, making it clear how the needs of all modes and uses have been considered and how relevant policies have been taken into account. Third is how the determining authority approaches the scheme itself and its PSED implications. In both the Lake and Heath and Shropshire cases, the judges were able to make robust common sense findings because the PSED had been practically and demonstrably embraced in contrast with Williams and UTAG. It's not a duty which uh, directs a particular outcome, rather it's a duty which needs to be seen to have been performed and performed sufficiently to be uh, immune from judicial criticism and um, displeasure. Fourthly, legal advisors should be swift to ensure that officers' reports sufficiently address how the PSED has been discharged in the particular circumstances. It's not a tick box exercise or discharge simply because express reference has been made to the duty. Rather, there must be material showing that the duty of inquiry has been fulfilled. Finally, it is to be hoped that if these lessons are learned and applied, then not only will the PSED have been discharged, but also the quality of the decision-making process can be placed beyond justifiable scrutiny. Otherwise, the outcome will be somewhat surprising, even for London's taxi drivers. Thanks for listening. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.